This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Minutiaman Celebrity Interview is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. And friends, and everyone at Opie Shows want you to make sure to wash your hands. And if you're still one of those people who don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom, please do that now. That's something you should have been doing anyway. I... Cover your mouth when you cough. Yeah, I know. Come on, people. And with that, we have a special message from actress, comedian, and fan favorite, Milana Vintrube. I just want to wish the people of Chicago a safe, warm, peaceful stay at home. Please stay healthy. Please help other people stay healthy by staying home. Stay safe, Chicago. Thanks, Milana. Thank you. Guys, seriously, you can save the world by sitting on your ass at home. You cannot afford to miss this opportunity. You won't get another one. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Stay home. You will be saving the world. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Okay, Dave, this is exciting. We have an actual Hollywood star on the show this week. <laughs> Uh, you may know her from her award-winning show, Transparent, or her many movies, like the Coen Brothers movie, A Simple Man, or, you know, she's been on every show. I think literally every show. She's on Mad Men, <laughs> Law and Order, Handmaid's yeah. I loved you on Dick Van Dyke, the Dick Van Dyke show. You were great on Dick Van Dyke. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what was Maury Amsterdam really like? Uh, <laughs> I could go on and on, but uh, this is Amy Landecker joining us, and she, of course, is uh, Chicago royalty, media royalty. She's the daughter of our good friend, radio legend oh. John Records Landecker. And uh, Amy, it's it's a it's a, a thrill to have you on our show. Oh, thanks. That's the sound of water. I'm making tea while we uh, talk. That sounds what an introduction. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> it's so nice. funny. What I love about this whole bizarre time that we're in is like. All that stuff feels really silly right now, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to even think about what life was like about four weeks ago, doesn't it? It is. Yeah, it's just a completely different universe. I'm like, oh yeah, I used to work and used to care about that stuff. (laughs) Well, your dad was about to be uh, inducted into the 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 broadcasters' hall of fame. And I that know. was all uh, thrown we were aside. All going to, uh, that's right. I think it would actually be this month on yeah. the 20th. We were going to go to um, Las Vegas. Yeah, and Dave and I were going to go too. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. so sad. Yeah. I'm, still go- I'm still going, though. You're still going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got like a three dollar. I got a three dollar plane fare. Screw it, I'm going. <laughs> That's true. Before this really went down, I was um, going to go to uh, New York for spring break, and it was so ominous because the hotel was so cheap that I knew something terrible must be. Like I was right. like just the. Just the, the, I mean, because New York hotels are never cheap. Are so expensive. They yeah. were giving, it was like a Hyatt on Fifth Avenue, and they were giving, you know, at one night free if you book two nights. And it was like they give you a suite for the price. I mean, it was insane. I thought, oh my God, what is happening? So, and clearly that trip didn't happen, and none of us are going in. So, so they knew before Donald Trump knew then. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It's so true. <laughs> I think maybe a lot of people did. I mean, <laughs> what I love is there's this sense of like, you know, well, nobody knew this was happening. Yeah. Well, scientists definitely knew. Well, I mean, right. and Hollywood knew because they were making movies like, you know, um, Contagion and right. an Outbreak. And uh, and so somebody knew. I think we just didn't want to, you know, actually be- believe it. But. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, even in the, our, our worst case scenario, I didn't imagine it would be like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is well. And in some ways, though, I mean, I don't know if you're I'm one of those weirdos who had who did watch those movies during this time just out of some morbid fascination. But we're also I mean, not to discount the 
unbelievable epic tragedy of this but we are lucky that it's not SARS that it is well that's true you know um there and this might be preparing us for when something far more deadly comes through because I, I think it's a wake-up call of like how early you need to you know really get away from each other I mean it's it's extraordinary I was in New Orleans shooting I'm shooting a new series for Showtime called Your Honor and I was there I guess now it'll be three weeks tomorrow that we sent we all went home yikes and we were there going you know I just I missed Mardi Gras I was upset because I didn't go to Mardi Gras I was I should have flown in early for Mardi Gras and we were working and you know there had been one case in all of New Orleans and everyone's like you know joking on set like you know, maybe New Orleans won't have any cases because there's so much alcohol here. Yeah. Kills the virus and yeah. blah blah blah. And we barely shut down. I mean, we were just doing it because that's what everyone was doing, not because I think there was a real sense that we were in any danger or each other. You know, and and now it's like one of the hot spots in the whole country. One of the hot. Yep, it was just like wildfire. And who, you know, we. I mean, I, we weren't taking it seriously for sure. I was actually there. The Thursday night, I remember it very specifically when Rita and Tom Hanks got oh, diagnosed. Yeah. And I feel like that's when people were like, oh. <laughs> that can like, happen to Tom Hanks? Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible, right? Like, I don't know what it is about that. It's just, But it's sort of like that someone's so strong and powerful and, you know, with all the money and power in the world could could get sick. You know, I feel like it was the first time that people really woke up to it, so... Well, that's why um, we're having you on, Amy, as a pick-me-up, because uh, you're, you're, you certainly have a lot of happy stories to share with us so far. Uh, you're in uh, New Orleans. So you're uh, just narrowly avoiding a uh, complete death. Yeah. yeah. So thanks, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah, I'm talking about and thank God this isn't SARS and it's preparing us for the next pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, you know. I mean, I was yeah, talking to your dad yesterday and he's, he uh, had a wacky idea for a parody song. And that's <laughs> that's kind of what I was looking for, some sort of wackiness, some sort of Landecker wackiness. Yeah. Never, yeah, never let a pandemic get away, you know, get in the way yeah. of shit. We don't know. We don't even know what the serious stuff is. My dad's definitely good about that. I think it's like his, he sent me the Beatles parody early on. Yes. Um, and then he made a joke on Twitter yesterday and texted me like, you know, I don't know. Everyone got real mad at me where he, you know, he's my dad, who, by the way, is not like a typically political person. Never really. No, was. you're right. Totally um, political or used yeah. to be. Yeah, very, you know, he, he voted for Reagan and he voted for Obama and he just votes for who he thinks is good. And I, it's fascinating to me how much Trump, I mean, bothers him because, you know, you, it could go either way, I guess. But um, he really does not care. for. Well, Trump. you know, the thing about him is he's got your, your dad, I mean, has got like a very a highly developed bullshit meter. Yes, right. True, and true. so he always could see through the bullshit. And Trump is is nothing if if not full of bullshit. Right. I, I think entertainers in general find him so hard to swallow because we know we're so full of shit. Right. And we see someone who's so full of shit. Yeah. And we're like, well, doesn't everybody see this is just a dog and pony show? Like, yeah. there's no substance here because we sort of live like that. You know, my dad, we spot, you spot it. You got it. You know what I mean? It's like. this is insane. I mean, Bradley, my husband's the same way. It's like, does everyone realize like, you know, he's basically an actor performer, you know, Russ WrestleMania guy. Yeah. At the the risk of uh, uh, offending some of our listeners. I, I, I I just don't understand how someone can watch him and go, that's my guy. I know. know. Oh, but my dad posts this joke about if I, if I use a my pillow to smother an old person, will I help the economy? <laughs> <laughs> Your dad also does not have a filter. <laughs> and, then, yeah, right. and, then, and then he's like, "Oh, and people got real upset." I'm like, "No, really, <laughs> Dad? Now, Shocking!" Now, Amy, uh, the first time I ever met you was. Uh, 20 some years ago at take your kid to work day at WJMK. I don't know if you remember this, your dad brought you and Tracy in and you were, I I think you were already out of college at that point. And I brought my son in who was an infant uh, at the time. And by the way, he's 25 now. 
Wow. Yeah. Oh boy, we're old. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. But during those days, you were doing theater in Chicago, and and we came out and watched you uh, do all sorts of stuff. And a lot yeah. of the people that were in your theater company have, have followed you out there to Hollywood. There are – tell us about some of the names of the people that were working with you in, in Chicago theater. Yeah. we Well, Michael Shannon was probably our most, I would say, successful graduate of the Pillar We were doing, you know, like um, – little plays in a, in a, in basements and, yeah. <laughs> you know, warehouses around Chicago and, um, Michael, who people might not know by name, but they've definitely seen him in a thousand movies. And I think he's, he's got, got a giant head, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He has a giant head. <laughs> yeah. He's been nominated for an Oscar maybe a couple of times. Yeah. Um, he played the FBI agent in Boardwalk Empire, which I th- he was unbelievably great in that, I thought. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I just, uh, in the show I'm doing in New Orleans, Michael Stuhlbarg, who was in A Serious Man with me years ago is uh, and was on Boardwalk Empire, is in this show. And I just, I'm always so struck by, you know, how small and large the world is at the same time, like all these paths crossing. Um, there's also names that people might not know as well but like paul edelstein who was on a show called private practice and who um is uh what's he doing he created a show for um the imposter for bravo and he was on um uh divorced or my divorce or so i anyway he's done a million things and and h was um from back in my days in high school in Chicago. And yeah. then there's this whole like Tracy Letts component. I mean, I went to visit Bradley on the set of um, uh, the post and in the post, which was the Steven Spielberg movie was uh, Pat Healy, who's a Chicago theater actor um, and a character actor now in film and Gary Wilms, who is a Chicago theater actor and Tracy Letts all in the same scene. Wow. You know, wow. and I just thought this, you know, there's something about Chicago talent that really cuts through. It's I think it's the authenticity of it. Like, you know, we weren't doing it there because we were trying to get a TV show or a movie. Right. There wasn't really much to get. You know, you yeah. were just doing it because you loved it. Yeah, and it's such true. a cold climate and it's such a like like so it really lends itself to like wanting to be inside like it's funny i did bug out in la it was the first play the reason that i live in la is because of tracy because i had done i did bug in in new york and then um it brought me to la and um while i was here they were casting for a serious man and it was chicago casting director who was doing the LA audition. So the whole reason that I even started to go into on camera was because of this play, this Chicago play. Um, but I, uh, I did, I did theater out here. I think that's the only play I ever did out here. I was like, LA is not a theater. Town. Yeah, no, like, it's, it's not. It's too spread out. It's too warm. It's too, nobody, and you know, you gotta really be down and dirty and like want to really, and even New York, which was, which is very famous for its theater. But I would, I still feel like, Chicago is the best theater in the world. There's something about the combination of like working class ethics and like Midwestern sensibilities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that creative drive. It was really some of the funnest times. Well, you I know, mean, I- not only were you doing shows in, in basements of, you know, gymnasiums and stuff like that, but you also were at the Steppenwolf. Yeah. I did finally break out to like a legitimate, stage my first job at Steppenwolf was actually well I was an intern there out of college um working with Eric Simonson and like assistant directing Lady Smith Black Mombazo in um the song of Jacob Zulu which was like an incredible production to be a part of when I was just out of college um and then as I always wanted to act there but it was one of those things where you know you needed to leave and before they really took you seriously or something you know like Um, it it was not, I was too much in the family to be considered or something, but I finally, my big break was actually understudying, um, a streetcar named desire. This is God. I was 27 and now I'm 50. So do the math so long ago about the 23. Yeah, <laughs> this is why well, we have Dave on the show. Yeah. Give me yeah. another one. Give me another one. I can do these all the math. Yeah, good, really good. 
Um, but Gary Sinise was Stanley and John C. Riley was Mitch and Katie Irby was Stella. Oh. And, um, t- and, uh, uh, oh God, Katie's ex-husband, um, Terry Kinney was directing it. And this New York actress was playing Blanche. Her name was Lila Robbins. And I just really like lucked out because she wasn't really known in Chicago. So when she fell ill and I went in during previews, um, people were really excited because I it was like a local person was playing yeah. Blanche. I was only 27 and I was a non-union theater actor at the time. And I went on during previews and... Um, and Irv Cupsonet was there, and he said a star was born. Yeah. Wow! And John Records Landecker's daughter was understudying and was put it. And and I'll tell you, I it was sort of bizarre because my career didn't really move in any significant way for like another decade. <laughs> so well, like, yeah, but still, I, you know, it, yes, the star was did. born. It, was, it just it just had to grow up. It was one of those things where I was like, "Oh my god, my whole life's been changed." And then kind of, it's sort of like that way in Hollywood, though. It's a really unless I guess you sort of hit something really big really early. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a slow build, and you think like, "Oh, this changed everything," but you still have to hustle. And then you kind of like, "I'm still hustling." I mean, it's funny because like I realized I had been asked by, you know, Footcone, who's doing a PSA thing for the mayor's office to do like a PSA for Chicago to stay home. And I was kind of like, who the hell even knows who I am? Like what, do, you know, like, it's like, I'm like, why are they thinking of me? But you, you don't realize in some ways you realize your profile has gotten to the point where some people know you and you know, you have quote unquote fans or whatever, yeah. but then on the other end of it, you still, um, you know, you still have, you're, there's very few people I think who feel like they're like there, you know, and one of the weirdest feelings, I mean, Bradley and I keep making a joke that, and we might do it where we're going to do like a video of, um, so of like what celebrities do in quarantine because they don't know what to do without getting attention and yeah. he's, he's going to like make us reenact when he won an Emmy and make us like put our dresses back. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Because like what happens? It's like does the tree fall in the forest? Like is it <laughs> there? It's like well, what does it mean if I don't have? I, I mean, I haven't put on pants. I, I've, I've been wearing sweatpants for two and a half weeks. I'm like, I might never wear a belt again. I mean, yeah. I, you, know. you are making us feel so much better. I know. Yeah. Oh, true though, for sure. Yeah. I haven't shaved in like fifteen days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Amy, I got to say this. Uh, you know, you you probably don't realize this, but you made a giant contribution to your dad's book um records truly is my middle name available in Eckhart's press um it was my job to get the stories out of him uh because yeah. you know as you know over the years a synapse or two may have left <laughs> um, and as his producer i heard all of his stories all those years so i knew what questions to ask him but some of the best stories were because of you, where we went to Jamaica for a week, and you told me some stories about your childhood with John, which were yeah. unbelievable. And I think people don't understand, you know, where you come from. Can you tell the story of the time you guys went to Bermuda, which I think I think it was oh, Bermuda. You mean the Bahamas. Bahamas, the Bahamas. yes. Yep. Shortly after your yep. parents' divorce, tell that story because yep. that's unbelievable. So my dad, if you read his book, I'm not saying anything that, you know, you can't find and that's published. Right. Uh, was a big partier back in the day. Um, he actually has heroically been sober for, God, it's got to be almost 30 years. Um, yeah. and, and God bless it. Uh, best thing that he ever did. But he was a big partier and he was single and he was successful. And um, he spent was taking me and my sister on a vacation and specifically went to this um, travel agency and said, I want you to find, I don't want to party. I just want to be with my kids. <laughs> no, I don't want any, any nightlife. I, I want to just be, you know, super low key. So they find this very remote, tiny Island in the Bahamas it still to this day just like cracks me up <laughs> where you know everyone's just in little houses i don't think there was even like a big hotel or anything they said they didn't have phones in the room it was like that yeah remote. i think that's yeah. probably right i mean it was just completely disconnected right it was like just be with your kids 
Um, but you would go to this, like, there was like one restaurant where everyone went for dinner. And it turns out that on this remote little island, there was a, um, a photo shoot for, I think it was British Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, dear. We didn't get the little lovely family right. vacation. By the end of it, there was two models who were basically living with us. One that he was dating and then her best friend, uh, Marilyn. And I think her friend's name was Peter, which is um, you know, unusual. But um, And yeah, they were... They were not doing, they were doing illegal. It was not good. It was, it was, it was not good. Marilyn was like the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. She, I still remember her. I mean, I was this little kid and she had black leather pants and, and, a, and a, I think it was like a Harley t-shirt or something. And she just was, you know, um, and I'm sorry to share bad parenting. My dad will be really mad at me, but he was just like, even her boobs are tan, which you should know. <laughs> like, you know, I was one, one time I was in the office with your dad and he, and he was, he was screaming into the phone and he ended the conversation with tough titties and he hung yeah, up the yeah, phone. Yeah. I said, well, yeah. what, who was yeah. that? He goes, Oh, it's my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dad is a complicated parent. I always enjoyed him, but um, it doesn't. I've certainly had some therapy around it. There's no doubt about that. Um, but he's lovely. But yeah, it was. He's the thing he, about this fun. story, though. It doesn't end there because then you went to the airport on your way home. Do you do you remember this part of the story? No. What happened there? And uh, he said that uh, as you were there at the airport waiting to come home, somebody goes up to him and says, hey, man, uh, there was a plane crash and there's uh, the plane was supposedly completely full of pot. No. Do you, oh, you don't remember this? Uh-oh. No. And did, did they hunt through the jungle for so, it or something? So, yeah, he talked some somebody there in the uh, airport oh. to uh, stay there nice. with you two. And he what? went with this guy into into the into the jungle looking for this plane of pot. <laughs> no, well, that was that in the book. Yeah, yeah. See, it's funny because my dad keeps asking me like about reading the book, and here's to the truth: I skimmed it, but it's kind of hard to read something yeah. that like you lived. Yeah, like, it's no, not I get enjoy- it. You know, yeah. So I actually don't remember that at all, which okay. is really kind of horrifying. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good that, it, that you don't remember it. <laughs> well, it's no. on page 177 if you want to. surprise me. I mean, it doesn't totally surprise me. He had a dealer in um, Lincoln Park, and we would wait in the car while he, I mean, you know, these were this was the 70s yeah. and the 80s, and everyone was doing all kinds of stuff. And he was also incredibly young. Um, but, yeah, I always thought that, like, joints were cigarettes when I was growing up. I didn't know it was – I mean, that's how he smoked them. Yeah. You know, like – just all day, you know, I, I mean, I remember the like seeds in the, in the, um, you know, the, like the strainer, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like us, Dave, it was just like our yeah. childhood growing up. Our, our parents are more like your grandfather, you know, they're these Germans, you know, off the boat from, uh, from Germany. And uh, so, you know, this this kind of child, these kind of childhood stories are fascinating for us. Yeah, no, this is this was definitely a very like rock and roll hippie childhood for sure. You know, and uh, and I, I, I you know, I, I it, it didn't I don't think it's the you know, it's not exemplary parenting. But I will say my dad's always been um, just one of the most loving, kind people in my life. So despite. I would say sort of like benevolent negligence of kind of an extreme kind. Um, But he was never like an aggressive, angry drug person um, to me, to me and my sister. Um, So I didn't have, and if anything, the problem was that it all looked really good to me, you know? (laughs) Well, you know, he was a huge star in Chicago. He was a huge star at a very young age. Yes. I mean, and he had access to, I mean, you know, everything and everybody. And he had a job that was like at a nighttime hours. Yeah. And, you know, the yeah. whole thing was, and it was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You right. know, that's what, that's what was going on. So, um, but yeah, it was colorful. I didn't know about the pot play. <laughs> <laughs> well, the story is in the book if you want to read about it. I, I, yes, I feel bad I'll for uh, telling you that story. <laughs> 
I, I have the book lying around. He's, and then he did like a, you guys did the new edition. And he's like sent. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get. Right. It's kind of like Bradley's kids have never watched the West Wing and Iris has never watched Transparent. And like, you don't really want to like, in like, you know, consume your parents' lives. No, you already true. like deal with them. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and um, so it's some weird resistance that my that kids are I the same. Think. I've written eight books now and I don't think yeah. they've read any of them. You know, yeah, I mean? exactly. I don't know what that is, but they're just not interested. In, they just want you to be their parent. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't want to deal with you as like a public figure or, you know, I, I just want to have you be my parent. So. Right. I, I agree. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that John certainly, because he's such a creative guy, and you and your sister are very creative, so definitely, you know, that I would imagine that he instilled that that sensibility of creativity with you. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, my his parents, you know, my mom's the the generation above was like, you know, you had jobs, you had like normal jobs. Right. I grew up with like a disc jockey and a yoga teacher. So right. I sort of knew, you know, that I didn't have to, I never sort of felt any pressure to have like a specific, you know, path to success or anything. Um, I definitely was very influenced by my dad and that I actually wasn't really planning on being an actor early on. I was wanting to be like a journalist, um, a broadcaster. I loved going into the radio station when I was little. Well, you've and have got when a great I was, voice, by the way. Oh, anyway. thank you. That's so sweet. Well, I lucked out doing, I did a play. I was actually Michael Shannon uh, at Red Orchid Theater with Guy Van Swearingen and Shira Piven directed it. And it was called, uh, oh God, it was, um, Oh my, I'm, I'm totally spacing, but, uh, and it was an incredible playwright and this is what happens with age, but whatever, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, but I did a bunch of voices in it and, um, this voiceover agent from Stuart talent in Chicago was in the audience, which and said, is the biggest talent agency in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And said, have you, have you ever thought about doing voiceover? And, um, Oh, you know what, though? I miss said that because it was actually an agent at Harris Davidson, who was a big agency at the time, which closed. And I eventually went to Stuart Talent. But okay. this first agency was Harris. And she she asked me if I'd ever thought of it. And of course, you know, I just came to it like a like a like a duck to water because of my dad. Yeah, I was you've like, been doing Whoa. it your whole life. Exactly. I didn't even realize it. I was reading copy. I was reading ads on the radio at LS. I was you know, around studios to this day, it's my favorite job that I have. I still get to do some, I do animation now more than commercials, but I occasionally get to do some commercials and, you know, I, I have a home studio and I just like sort of, I just was, it was changed the whole trajectory for me because I don't know if I could have afforded a creative life without voiceover. Mm. Cause it took me till I was like 40 till I made a living as an on-camera actress so it was kind of like this huge gift that he gave to me very directly. Um, but yeah, I, he's so creative. I mean, just talking to him this morning, you know, he's working on another parody song. Like, yeah, I know. I'm working yes. on it with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, he can't, he has to create. And yeah. it's, my sister is the same way. My sister has to write. She's in a um, punk band called the Walker Brigade. She's phenomenal. Um, and, and it's not about, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I think there's a real desire to be like seen and heard and acknowledged, but it's also like an innate need, you know, it's yeah. gotta happen. It's, it's like you, I've always said, my dad will put the same effort, you know, in his show in Indiana as he did at LS in his heyday. It it's doesn't true. matter how many view, how many listeners he has. And, um, I definitely feel like I got that too. Like. I, I just love what I do, whether it was in a basement in Chicago or if I'm getting paid, you know, to do a TV show, I just really look forward to going and doing it, you know, and I feel very lucky and I definitely feel like that's his legacy to me, you know. You're also a good guest. I saw, I mean, I've seen you on like Conan and uh, uh, James Corden and, you know, you, you're, you're like your dad, you, you don't really uh, Over, have, I overshare. You do kind of overshare, which is great. <laughs> Like for I, the, for instance, the Don so Cheadle true. story. The, yes. Oh my God. Can you you mind telling that story? No, it's one of my all time favorite stories of my life. I have to say, and he told me to tell that story. Don Cheadle. Oh, did, did. he? Okay, good. He said the way to feel better about this is to tell this story for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's, how, that's how bad it was. 
Um, but no, I just want to say it's so true though. Like my dad has no filter or editor and neither do I. And people love having us as guests as well as like tell way too much. And I get off, I always get out of things and go, what did I just talk about? (laughs) But, um, anyway, I was, so I was on a show called house of, uh, lies that was on Showtime that, um, Don Cheadle was the lead of. And I had been in a serious man. And so in a serious man, I had been naked. And so I was, people assumed that I now was comfortable being naked, but this, the nudity in a serious man was very specific. It was from far away. Right. I was lying down. I was sunbathing. You could, you didn't even meet my character yet. So you wouldn't even know who I was. It was very subtle. Um, but in Hollywood, when you do something like that, all of a sudden you're getting all the nudie parts. Right. And I was like, so I get this, you know, uh, offer for this thing on this show. But, and I said, you know, I'm not actually comfortable doing sexual nudity, which is what it seemed like was in this episode. And they said, oh no, we, we, it, it cuts away before it's, it, it cuts away it's right before. It's very tasteful. It's very tasteful. Yeah, it's very tasteful. Yeah. So and it was kind of a comedic show. And, um, so I, I could do, I like, you know, I can, it wasn't like sexy anything. It was like ridiculous. My character was this sort of drunk housewife while my husband downstairs, um, played by this guy, John Ross Bowie is like, um, uh, sucking the toes of, um, the lead. What's her name from frozen? I'm sp- Kristen Bell. She's the other lead of the show and his character is sucking her toes downstairs. I am enacting, some sort of like nursery rhyme, little Bo Peep fantasy, trying to seduce Don Cheadle. And in as the script, people do. Said, but as people are you do. sure this wasn't on Pornhub? <laughs> I think I saw this well, on Pornhub. Exactly. And as it gets to this, the, in the script, it says, I go like, you know, say something very illicit and bend over and it cuts to his face and it cuts away. But as I'll make a long story short, they decide that they want to shoot the whole scene and there's not a lot of communication about it. And I'd never done one of these things before, so I didn't really know how it worked. And basically it went from, you know, me doing this little Bo Peep thing to, I mean, this is pretty gross and graphic to say, even for me, it's hard to say, but I told, take down my underwear and the camera's behind me. So now I'm bent over with my bare butt facing mm. the camera and and Don comes up behind me and all he's got on is what they call a modesty sock, which is just a sock over his. Uh, wow. yeah, and he is, how they did that. Yeah. And he's bumping into me and, uh, and the director goes, um, you know, improv like a nursery rhyme. And I had the presence of mind to say, uh, ba ba black sheep, have you any wool? And then he, I mean? says, he, say, he says, three bags, three bags, three bags full, and then pretends that he's finishing off. Yeah. And um, and the director yells, cut. And I burst into tears. I just oh. burst into tears. Um, I didn't know it was going that far. I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know. Uh, you know, Don was so sweet. He's like, Oh my God, I didn't know you were uncomfortable. You seem so, you see, I, you know, I seem so comfortable, right. I'm making up like nursery rhymes. I don't say like, can we stop? I'm just kind of like, and, uh, you know, and I, I wasn't comfortable and, um, we finished out the day and, um, and I get, and I called my manager the next day and I said, I'm never doing on camera sex, like sexual nudity again for like, that's it. Like, take it off the list. Okay, noted. And I get this call from Showtime that they, because I had had such a meltdown, the director got nervous on the, when we did the turnaround, didn't get enough coverage of Don. And so we needed to go back and reshoot from the other side. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. Like, it's not as scary from the front, you know, and blah, blah, blah. We go back, we do it again a little less terrifying and traumatic then i get a call from showtime like a month later that it does look like a porn (laughs) oh boy and they don't they want to rewrite the scene where i'm now more of like a dom a dominatrix and they're going to use the showrunner director and not the guy who had directed the original episode and it was just going to be a completely different deal so i go in and do it again and this time it is a lot less traumatic it's a lot more silly 
it's a lot. There's no, like, I'm never really naked, whatever. So I, I, you know, I'm learning as I go how to do these things. And, um, and they say, um, you know, and then Don says to me, you know, I'm sorry. It's just like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Like, you know, we have some guest stars who are just like so game. And then, you know, and I, and, and I said, no, you know, I didn't say anything. You guys were, it's, you know, it's up to me, blah, blah, blah. But I'd never done it before. And I just didn't know how it all worked. Anyway, get through this whole experience and I get an audition for a a show called transparent. And it says Mm -hmm. on camera, sexual nudity required. And I was like, so we just said no out of hand, you know, that's now no longer on my, um, and we get a call that Jill Soloway wants to have, uh, wants to talk to me because they Jill is non-binary. So I'm going to use they, them pronouns. So they said, um, you know, Jill, that, that Jill wants to talk to me. They don't know why I don't want to be on the show. They've really had this vision that I'm Sarah. So I meet with Jill. And the first thing Jill says when I walk in the room is I can't believe I'm meeting John Records land. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, and Jill grew up in Chicago and loved radio. And loved she went radio. to my high school. She went to my, Oh high really? Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. And, and did and, the, the Brady bunch musical, right? Isn't that that's the, right? Yeah. That's right. Jill and faith Soloway. Um, who uh, are still creatively uh, doing things together. And um, and so anyway, I, you know, Jill says, I tell Jill this whole thing about this show and how traumatic it was. And Jill's basically like, well, I'll never make you do anything you're not comfortable with. Um, and basically the, the thing on Transparent that no one really knew or could tell because it seemed like I was just having sex constantly was I was always I had clothes on, which made a big difference for me. Uh. Um, I was either naked. There's one scene where I'm naked, but I was by myself and it was like not sexual. Or if I was meant if I had to do something physical, I would ha- get to be clothed. So that was the big compromise. Anyway, flash forward. We're at the Golden Globes. So overstimulated and excited. We've just been nominated for best comedy you know we i my whole life just like just catapulted into a whole other area i'd never mm-hmm. been in like you know the emmys and the globes and the, and this is our first big red carpet the golden globes red carpet is like nothing you've ever seen it's it feels like it's two miles i mean it's just every outlet from around the world and the amount of like as just stimulation and excitement and, you know, all, and, and you're just jostled and it's just, I've never, it just was, it was nuts. Right. So I'm way overstimulated. I'm way over, you know, excited. And I see Jeffrey Tambor talking to Don Cheadle mm-hmm. and I just go up to Don and in my typical John Landecker you know, spawn way say, um, Hey Don, do you remember me? You fucked me up the ass like four. <laughs> <laughs> right. 22 minutes after six o'clock. <laughs> and he looks at me with horror on his face. And my wife and children are standing right here. And I turn and his wife is looking at me like she's going to kill me. And I'm not making that up. Like they did not know who I was or what this meant. What crazy person, you know, was I, was it, was I, was it true? Was, was I, was, was I just an insane person? The kids jaws are like dropped. And guess what? I start crying again, just like I did the first time. <laughs> and I, you know, the same, the same pattern of behavior where I'm real crass and then I'm completely embarrassed. And I and he goes, Amy, Amy, Amy. It was so sweet, just like he was on set. And he goes, Hun, it's you know, my kids are teenagers, they're okay. It's okay. And he goes, Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna tell this story the rest of your life. Well, you know what else happened that day? There was a, a plane that crashed right outside the Golden Globes that was full of pot. <laughs> and everybody and went and got some there. yes exactly. and my dad was there putting <laughs> <snackies> together <laughs> oh. yeah that's my long ass Don Cheadle story but I keep telling it is it is it's very long but it's very significant like it I told him though too I would not have gotten I do not believe I would have gotten transparent if it wasn't for that experience because the fact that I said no to Jill made Jill want me so much more yeah you know, it was like great. it was like wait a second 
who is this that doesn't want to do my show? And I always know if I'd just gone in and auditioned like a regular actress, I probably wouldn't have gotten it. But I got to have lunch with them and I got to like, you know, be sort of favored in some way and feel comfortable when I finally went in to read. And so all of that came from that horror show of an experience, you know. Uh, and you met Bradley there too, right? During I sure did. And he still loves me despite how crass I can be. <laughs> also, we won the Golden Globe that night. So there was that too. Yeah. Um, no, I met Bradley. Yeah, we were both. He was on season one and I was um, it's funny because he was in a relationship and I was in a relationship. So we didn't even clock each other, really. Um, and then about a year later, there's a lot of these like for your consideration panels around L.A. went around awards time where they bring cast together and an audience comes and watch the show and you do a Q&A afterwards. So we were at one of those and um, he was we were in the green room waiting while the audience watched the show. And I just sat next to him on the couch. We have a picture from it up upstairs in our room about from that moment, because it was actually that conversation that then started this whole thing that now he's my husband. <laughs> yeah. So it was really good. It was that show gave me so much. I've never been able to, to say, you know, thank you enough to Jill. Cause it gave me a career and it gave me a husband and, um, well, you know, you know. Uh, he, your husband is obviously very politically uh, active. <laughs> yes. um, I, I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> Let's go bother him now. Actually. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> He'll love it. All right. We have to take a break, but Minutia Men will be right back. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's those cars that were made only to meet with something less than success. It's part one of Automotive Turkeys, plus a laughable look at cars for sale ads. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Lick a toilet bowl and go to the hospital. Who knew? Morgan Freeman talks about toilet paper. Strippers now deliver. My brush with Bobby Sherman. And our interview with the greatest Melania Trump impersonator the world has ever known. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. <laughs> the Tony Lasano Podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back. We're going to wake up Brandon. We're waking up Bradley Woodford right now. <laughs> Rick, this should be a new bit that we do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> in bed with. Right. In bed with. Oh, he's in the shower. Oh, oh this okay. is even better. All right. Oh, I'm going to have to draw the line here. <laughs> Honey. What? Oh, and he's naked, so I definitely won't turn them. No, you got to yeah. <laughs> I'm on the podcast. You want to come down when you're oh, done yeah, and yeah. chat? Okay. <laughs> what, what, uh, what soap or shampoo is he using? You know what he uses? That gross. Um, I don't like it. My mom used to use it back in the seventies, like Murph. Well, honey, what's that menthol soap stuff that you use? Uh, the clear. The one I don't like. Doctor. Doctor. Yeah, what is it? My mom used it when I was a kid, and it so it reminds me of like the seventies. Right. We do call this show Minutia, man, and we are getting some Minutia right now. Yeah, see, here's the Minutia. Dr. Bronner's. Okay. Wait, here, you can look in the thing. I'm going to show you that picture I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I met my wife at Kinko's. It's not nearly <laughs> as good as yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were in Champagne, and uh, she, we were. I was collating the 9500, and she was there. And I had her automatic document handler, if you know what I'm saying, and we got married. It's a story as old as time. <laughs> Kinko's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Kinko's. spent so much time in Kinko's. I met my wife at the uh, at the Loop where we worked at the radio station together. Oh, wow. And so it's a, it's a radio family. WLUP. That's right. I remember that place. Um, but, yeah, so Bradley is uh, – political to say the least he oh, tweeted yes. on our wedding day i mean people were like do you know that he's tweeting <laughs> now do, do you get extra cred uh for uh being uh the descendant of uh, joseph nye welch yes i do he brings I, I it up so. a lot yeah especially like when we're hanging out with like 
you know, the hardcore political people who would think that's like a really big deal. I mean, you know, Klobuchar kept bringing him up during the debates this year. Oh, really? Um, yeah, she kept invoking his quote, you know, at long last or have you no decency? Um, because, of course, people have been bringing that up around. I mean, this has been coming up around Trump since he was running for president. True. You know, uh, Dan Rather brought up my great grandfather. I mean, the, the, the trial for people who might not know because not everybody does, but there was like this massive trial of Joseph McCarthy back in the day when McCarthy was running sort of a. He was accusing everyone of being a communist. communist, Right. Mm -hmm. And there was this televised trial that everyone was watching. And in the middle of it, Joseph, my great grandfather, who was a Republican and an attorney for the U S army, who was now um, putting McCarthy on trial for, um, inappropriate, improper use of his power. And, and, and I, and he said to him in the middle of the trial, like, you know, at long last, or have you no decency or something along those lines. And for some reason, it was like that moment in history where certain things are said at a time when everyone really hears it. And it kind of changed the course of supposedly history at that time. And McCarthy lost power. And that era was kind of ended because of this sort of moment in this right. trial. But, you know, I've always said in the climate that we're in now, that would be impossible because Fox News, yeah. if that's what you believed and liked, they would say that my great grandfather was an idiot and didn't know what he was talking about. You know, like right. there there was no collective truth. At, you know, there is no collective truth now. We don't sort of all agree on anything and there's no interpretation. Like you had one news guy, Walter Cronkite and whatever, you, you know, we sort of we, we all watched the same thing together and through the same filter. And now we all have our own filters. I don't think that's even possible anymore, you know, yeah. and it makes me really sad because people are always asking me like, where's the Joseph Welch of our day? I'm like, yeah, I don't think he could yeah. be heard. Right. Yeah. Well, if you watch uh, Adam Schiff's speech at the end of uh, the impeachment, yes. it's just brilliant. And yes. That, that, could, but even that look should at have that. been that moment. You know what I mean? Exactly. But it wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember watching, you know, the the member the the guy raised up the Constitution in uh, the, the parent uh, at the DNC convention. And, you know, he, he was like the, the gold star parent. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and he said, have you even read this? Yeah. Right. No, I'll give you my copy. And there right. was this huge like upswell of support for Hillary at the time. And this was the Joseph Nye Welch moment, but it doesn't last. You know, we no. also have no, we, our attention spans, like we're on to the next. And you're so right, that shift speech, but he gets interpreted through a, you know, a conservative lens that says, and I don't mean conservative. I mean like hyper right wing conspiracy conservative right. that says, you know, that he's evil and he's a shifty liar. Shift. And, shifty shift. Yeah. Shifty yeah. shift, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's a weird time. I mean, I do think right now we're in a sort of reckoning where a lot of that stuff falls by the side. Cause you have to kind of reality has a way of, you know, making itself known. Right. You know, okay. um, and we're kind of going through that right now. Yeah. I mean, but it has to be in order for people to really believe stuff, they have to see it and touch it and feel it. Cause Otherwise, they're just going to see what they see on Facebook and through their own, like, you know, political prison. I mean, we are just as guilty. We live in, you know, I my we had to replace our television because we had MSNBC on so often that the like the, the you know, in the corner, when the, what is that called? I don't know what it's called, but it burned through the screen. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> kidding me. No, that's hilarious. So it was like permanently saying MSNBC on it. <laughs> so we got a new TV screen, but I'm like, yeah, we, we, you know, and this whole thing has got, you know, the, if you're a tweeter, which he is, I mean, he's, I think he's feels like it's part of his civic duty to uh, engage on Twitter. I don't really get it to me. It's like road rage out there. Like, I don't want to go in there, but it's, it's um, pretty toxic out there in, in, on yeah. Twitter, but he is a good follow if, especially if you agree with his, uh, politics. Yeah. If you Which agree with him, and even, <laughs> if you, even if you don't, you can argue with him. He's a good, you know, and he's a good arguer. Like he doesn't mind. I can't stand conflict and stuff like that, but he doesn't mind. It doesn't bother him the way it bothers me. So he's also open to like getting into it with people who don't agree with him. Right. You know, and um, that takes a certain personality. But um, what's he doing? He's dawdling. 
don't make me go on about it. I've been yammering on. I'm tired of my own voice. I'm telling way too many personal stories. <laughs> How are you guys getting along during the isolation? Yeah, you guys are still uh, you're still yeah, married, right? You know, we're very we're we're very happy. I we are have always been a very happy pair. So this has proven us to be. I mean, I'd say the only difference is like I'm a little more like low key and like don't need to do something all the time. He can't really sit still. So ah. there's 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 an energetic difference, but we haven't argued or anything. Um, hi, honey. <laughs> He's in the West Wing right now. <laughs> but we should be in here because the, they're back to one of the things that's driving us really crazy is the house next door since this whole thing started and about two weeks prior has been running a generator, generator to do like sanding on the side of this house oh, for about eight, eight hours a day. And yesterday, I guess a couple of neighbors were screaming nuts. like, we're all at home. So they, they start late. Like they, they're at least conceding to start at about 10, 1030, but it's going now. So we're sitting in the dining room, but it's, that's the biggest irritant is this. And you would think like, I mean, everybody's home, and this loud thing is running all day. Yeah. And uh, but that, if that's our biggest problem, we're pretty privileged. Yes. My, my next door <laughs> yeah. neighbor is has got a, a sixty year old tree that he's in the process of cutting down, which uh. is ridiculously loud, and it's going to take yeah, a long that time. Eight hours a day for like two months, because that's what's going on here. This has been going on now for like a month. And why can't I you do it at like two in the afternoon instead of right. you know first thing for in the a morning? Of hours. Yeah, because yeah. they're being douchebags. Well, I've got three teenage daughters in my house, so I wonder what my neighbors oh my are saying about our house. Yes. How are they holding up? You know, they actually are doing really, really well. Um, they've got, the, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, it's called the internet that they're on, <laughs> like 100% of the time. Yeah, and TikToks and all what. No, but they really right. are, they're doing really quite well. You know, I think in and, some ways these kids love this because they're they were built for it. They yeah, were right. already they were already living online. They're like you know they they've been FaceTiming each other and TikToking their brains out. Right. So now right. it's just more of what they like to do anyway. You know? I, I have three sons. Uh, they're uh, 25, 21, and seventeen, and they're all in the house. and And I I don't see them all day. <laughs> we're all in <laughs> one house, and I never see them. And I don't wow. live in a gigantic house. I have a tiny yeah. little house. But they've got their own rooms. They've got their internet. And they're happy as clams. That's my kid. Bradley's got three kids, too. But two of them aren't here yet. They're stuck. One's in Chicago and one's in Connecticut. Because um, his, his son went to Harvard. And when they sent everyone home, he went to their... They have, like, his ex-wife has a house in Connecticut. So he's been sort of doing school remotely from there because of the time difference here it was right. just easier there but now it's sort of this danger zone where you're like well should now you travel just, yeah now should you stay should you and then his daughter's in hubbard street dance company in chicago oh, oh, um, great. and they were doing their program remotely too so i don't we only have lulu who uh, what's fun too is she does a thing called dance church which is like a online dance class now and there's we did it yesterday there's four thousand people in this class <laughs> i mean oh, wow. it's there's this really weird collective Pent you know that guy, yeah like that, that guy yeah. dj nice or whatever where you had two hundred thousand people on friday night dancing together so well you know there's something about I, dave and i were talking about this earlier there's something about this where we're all being forced to you know stay home with our families that is actually kind of great you know yeah uh, you're you're being forced to examine the things that are most important to you and and have them nearby. And when they're not, like Bradley, you notice it. It's like a big yeah. deal that your daughter and son are not there. Yeah, it's 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 really unnerving. Um, uh, I've actually I I don't know if it is true, and it seems like the information we're getting changes all the time. But I've heard that actually. Flying right now, the planes are for for some reason to qualify for loans. They have to keep the flights going. Oh, have you heard this? Yeah, no, uh, I've not. Uh, so they're flying empty. So they're flying empty, uh, oh, which is uh, uh, you know fantastic for the environment. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. 
Um, but, Although, have you uh, seen the uh, like the satellite views of the world where you yeah, know, like from last week when people were still doing stuff to this week when they're not, you can really see that it, the pollution is starting to clear yeah. up a little bit. The ozone layer layer is like thirty years, I think, hasn't been this this low. So that, that yeah. we're doing good with the ozone layer. I do hope that this teaches us how to acknowledge the inevitability of science before it appears on our doorstep. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And you know, maybe you know, apply that um, you know to global warming. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that earlier. Where it was like. Like, who knew this was happening? Well, all the scientists did. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. And the scientists <laughs> right. are saying the same thing about the climate. So it's like, we ha- we should not wait till it's too late. We were walking. We live in Pasadena, and there was this view of the mountains that you just you never, never, see. never see. I mean, where you could see multiple layers. And, you know, it's just, it's just incredible how much it's cleared up in a short period of time. It's There's going to be some – there will be some aspects of this that – will be hard to let go of when we all get back. I know, that's true. Um, which is hard and weird to say, but true. Do either of you have something coming up then when you, when, if, if reality ever returns? Until, yeah, we're both in yeah. the middle of, I mean, I would be finishing your honor, the Showtime show, which is Brian Cranston as the lead. And Bradley was in the middle of, of, um, handmaids. And yeah. I was about to do two movies. Yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda's movie. He was going to play Stephen Sondheim in that. Oh, cool! Yeah. Um, and then um, a McKay movie. Adam McKay. Uh, I have a good story. Can I tell the story? <laughs> so yeah. we're walking. We're not going anywhere. You can. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mind, but we're we are walk we are walking the dog, and uh, this car drives by with this woman in a mask and. And she waves and probably sort of absentmindedly waves like, I don't know who that is. And um, so she comes back around clearly like to stop and say hi and say who she is. And in a very nondescript kind of dirty car. Yeah, like an old rundown Mercedes, basically. Yeah, it was. And she goes, Bradley. And he's like, yeah. And she pulls down her mask. She goes, it's Meryl. And it was Meryl Streep. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> In, in a mask. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking we're all Greta Garbo now. <laughs> well, you know, I was I was telling my sons that we're having you on today and uh, I showed them a picture of you, Bradley, and and uh, and my son. Goes, oh, Billy Madison. Yes. Yes. That's so, right. You know, you do I, have I, these great these great credits to your name, but he you know, it's still for a 17 year old boy. Billy it's Madison. still Billy Madison. It's Billy right. Madison. Yeah. Listen, uh, uh, one of the one of the main reasons I fought so hard to get West Wing was to get Billy Madison out of the first line of my obituary. <laughs> <laughs> what about Revenge of the Nerds Two? No, I'm proud of that. <laughs> okay, film. all right. <laughs> Revenge right of the now? Nerds Two: Colon Nerds in Paradise. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please do your homework. But wait, I want to finish the Meryl Streep story. Okay. So then she he goes. Oh, you know, I'm going to, by the way, like I'm cast in that Adam McKay movie you're doing. And I'm reminded that, you know, and they're discussing whether or not we'll ever get back to normal. And I thought, I can't believe I'm listening to like, you know, my husband and Meryl Streep talk about this Adam McKay movie. Like, but we're in this world where you just kind of don't know what's going to happen next. You know, I mean, we were talking about that earlier where it's like, what does this all even mean? You know, um, you have, and then she drove away and I, and I just looked at the dogs, and I was like, "They don't care. Like, they have no right. idea that oh. was Meryl Streep." Right. They're totally unimpressed. You know, when I was uh, when I was your dad's producer, Amy, we he invited us to a party. We went over to his house in Michigan City, and Roger Ebert was there. Oh yeah. And Roger Ebert and your dad were showing. You know, they they had this uh, great screen up there where they were, he was showing his new sound system to Roger, and they were so excited. And he showed him a, I think tombstone like a beginning of the movie tombstone because of the, oh, the yeah. sound the my, sound he loves to do a sound sample and, and my son was there he was like five or six years old and we got back in the car on the way home and he goes you know that friend of john's he really loves movies <laughs> <laughs> that's really cute that's yeah. very sweet 
Well, we, we th- appreciate you being on the show. Um, and I know you don't have anything else going on right now, but I, it's still <laughs> yeah, nice of you to do huge it. This is sacrifice, guys. <laughs> it's still nice of you to do it. We appreciate it. It'll this be... is like the only time your guests are going to be like, wait, no, don't you want to ask me some <laughs> questions? Second, what about oh, come on, let's wrap it up here. Let's go. <laughs> I, I have an... I have an Adam McKay movie that is probably never going to happen and a sock drawer. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on the show and thanks very pleasure. much. And and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again sometime in the future. Be and, safe, be safe, be healthy. Yes. Safe, be safe, everybody. All right. Yes. Take it easy. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla, Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Volpi Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Soccer's not back, but that doesn't mean we can't do a show, right, Adam? Yes, lots to talk about. And let's face it, we're stir-crazy. We're sitting here in our homes. We can't really do much uh, in our homes. And so what the hell? Let's let's uh, <laughs> let's find out what's going on in the world of soccer. Free kicks with Adam and Rick, a Tony Lasano podcast. Go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Hey, this is Tony Lozano, and if you like podcasts, well, I'm the guy that you want to meet. Well, maybe, but I have my own called Nude Hippo, the podcast, and I do it with uh, many members of and friends, uh, including Kimmy. Hello. We feature some of the coolest guests like... Brian Cheverini, Ginger Z, Mr. Skin, Tom Dreesen, and so many more. These are like milestone interviews. They're timeless. So this way, you could pick it up at any point. I suggest you start from the beginning. Nude Hippo, the podcast, and Opie Show. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. <laughs>